This morning we're going to be in Mark chapter 4, verses 21 through 34. And the last time, or the last two Sundays, we saw just an amazing response to the parable of the soils. You know, Jesus using the, the plant kingdom and the world of vegetation to uh, make a spiritual analogy to our hearts, you know. Uh, are they receptive to the word of God? Is our heart good soil? Uh, and today we're going to observe Jesus kind of run, continue to run with this idea of using the uh, plant and vegetable world, so to speak, uh, to continue with this, this parable or this illustration of spiritual things. Uh, today we're going to see Jesus kind of zoom out from the individual to the church collectively and beyond, where he, in the parable of the soils, uh, maybe to the dismay of the disciples, remember, let's put all this in context, the disciples see the crowds, they're, they're wowed by the crowds, and Jesus has to put them into proper perspective. And he, he teaches them this parable of the soils, which basically says, out of the four types of hearts, only one out of the four, 25%, and we don't know if that's the exact figure, only one out of the, the four hearts is actually good for receiving the word of God and having uh, a crop or a, a fruit grow in our lives as believers. So we, he goes from that now to moving to the other extreme, to the overgrowth, to, yes, a big bloated religion, a bloated form of Christendom with birds that flock into the branches of the tree. Evil comes into this Christendom and causes all kinds of problems. Now, for some of you hearing that, you might be shocked. I've certainly piqued your interest. What are you talking about? You're a pastor. How can you say that? We're going to check this out. It's going to be really neat. So this is what we have, this, this problem that's taking place. Uh, today, as we go through this, I've kind of broken it up for ease, ease of understanding to four stages of church growth, including the last stage being overgrowth. Now, this is very important for everybody to understand. I have to make this point, the difference between the church and the church. Yes, I did say the church and the church. <laughs> the church in Western culture, what we understand as the church is not what the church was originally when Christ started the church. In Western culture, we look at the church as the pews and the, the cross outside and, and the building and you know all that kind of stuff. But the truth is the church is the collection of you, believers, who have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior and have been called out of the word, the, the Greek word ekklesia, into God's marvelous light. So the truth is that the church, okay, if we say this properly and not go into the Western misnomer, the church actually goes to the building this morning, right? Remember, the early church, the people, didn't have a building. The Romans persecuted uh, Christianity, so they met in caves, sometimes in sewage systems, in people's homes, and they were the church because there was no building allowed with a big cross and all that kind of fanfare. So we're going to jump into this, and I'm going to make sure we go through the difference between the church and the church as we do this. Verse 21. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not to be set on a lampstand? For there is nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor has anything been anything been kept secret, but that it should come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. So we look at the parable of the lamp. Right? We have to look at the context as well. We just covered the parable of the soils. Right? Jesus said about the parable of the soils, do you not understand that this parable is the key to the other parables, especially when we're talking about salvation? What did Jesus leave off? 
with the really hardy, good soil, the fourth soil, where the word of God could be implanted and grow into fruit. So that's the context. So the first stage is basically once we're saved, there's a time to display God's glorious light. And, and you can say in the form of sharing your faith or witnessing. Now this is neat because what do we have to offer the world? Well, a few things. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's an awesome start. That we can understand God's word and the wisdom of the ages. That we have the truth of salvation. And also that we have a living relationship with the Creator Father God. And we want to offer that to others free. You know, just Jesus said to the disciples, freely you have received, freely give. Now let's talk about lamps. Because today, you know, technology, we have incandescent bulbs, which they're kind of phasing out. We have the CFLs. We have the LEDs. Back in the day, boy, it was very different. They had a, a clay type of receptacle, a hardened clay with oil that was put into it and a wick. And this lamp was lit and put on a high place, usually a table or a stand. And when it got dark, it was, put, it was a focal point, and it literally lit up the whole room because they didn't have electricity like we do. However, he says it's not meant to be put under a basket or under a bed. Why? It would probably be a fire hazard. <laughs> By the same token, we have something so awesome and so powerful that we too shouldn't be hiding it. It's something that the world needs. Now let's ponder a few points. To want to some, this is terrifying. What are you talking about? Witnessing evangelism? That's not me. Well, it could be something simple as just sharing your faith. Sharing your faith. Right? What has the Lord done in your life? To others, some may say, well, that's not my calling. Well, that was me in the early days. I remember uh, as a new believer, and I heard the pastor preaching and saying how we should share our faith, and in my mind, of course, I'm sitting there thinking, your job is to share your faith. I'm in law enforcement. You know, I, I have a job to do, too. Well, I lost that battle a long time ago. <laughs> I certainly ate my words. But it's a blessing. You know, it's, not, it's fun. It's enjoyable. As a society, the second thing is we're also brainwashed to believe that sharing our faith is weird. Talking about God is weird in the public place, in, in, in schools, in government. You know, it's, it's weird. But you know what's normal? Looking at billboards and advertisement and open up your internet news with half-naked people all over it. Verizon, supposedly a family company, was just assailed for uh, providing uh, young incestuous themes, porno pornographical themes to its, to its clients. And you know what they did? They defended that decision. That's normal. Nakedness is normal. Sharing about God and salvation, that's not normal. Remember, we have to undo what we've learned, unfortunately, growing up in this society. Isaiah 5 spoke about the day back then, and it certainly is clear today, that uh, right, in God's eyes, would be considered wrong by society, and wrong, in God's eyes, would be considered correct. And that's what we're living under. Third point to look at this is that our faith should not be obnoxious. Now, maybe we've been turned off. Maybe we've met believers that have just been so overbearing that they're on top of us about it, and it's, it's, it's uncomfortable. I kind of like the, the woman at the well theme. You know, I like when Jesus sat with her, and he's, you know, he starts building a bridge with her, and John 4 is just awesome. You know, I, I kind of, I, I had a, um, the long head of my biceps tendon is impinged, so I've been going for physical therapy. And I've been talking to my physical therapist. And I tell you what, that's really a challenge. Well, he's got his foot in my face and he's pulling on my arm. And I'm like, and Jesus says in a parable of the soil, 
I think he does it more to see if I'll still keep going, but he does ask, so I, I keep going. Uh, you know, he has like a little smirk on his face, but, um, you know, it, it works. The fourth thing that we look at, again, and I'm trying to undo societal brainwashing, the fourth point that we can look at is we have something so important and so imp- precious to give to a world that's dying from sin. I've talked about this from the pulpit before. Penn Jillette, famous atheist, comedian, magician. Here's a guy who tells... It's on YouTube. You can check it out. I mean, he's still, he's still Penn Jillette, but uh, he doesn't say that he's saved. But he spoke about an encounter he had with a, Chris, a Christian businessman and how he shared his faith. He shared judgment and hell, and the only way to salvation is Jesus Christ. And, you know, Penn sat with him and listened to everything that he had to say. So then he gets on YouTube and he goes, you know, I've met a lot of Christians in my life. He goes, how come I haven't heard this before? I love it when atheists slam carnal and lazy Christians. I just do. I love atheists. I love the unbelievers. I love it when they say things that puts us back on our heels because we should be listening. So he basically says, all my life I've run into Christians and I I pretty much haven't heard this. He goes, if you're a Christian and you know the truth and you know I'm I'm going on the wide path, he goes, how much do you have to hate me to not share your faith with me? That's powerful, folks. That's really, really powerful. And, and there's others like him. I enjoyed the late Christopher Hitchens. He was a real salty, kind of crabby, you know, scientific, kind of atheist guy. But, you know, at the end, before he passed away, he had a lot of friends who were pastors. So maybe he didn't want to admit it to his, his peers, but I, I'm, I think that possibly he got saved before he died. That's just my opinion. And then we can look at the symbolism. Let's look at the lamp, the oil. Oil is often a picture of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the light, right? God is love. God is light. God is truth, right? The light exposes the darkness and casts the truth into all corners of the room, just like that lamp does. And in Luke 8, he adds that those that enter the room may see the light. You ever wonder where some of these expressions come from? <laughs> I've, I've seen the light. Well, it comes from Luke, right? It's the, the light is the truth of the gospel and God's word. And light also has the propensity to give warmth as well. They're changing that with LEDs and such, but back in the day, the parable certainly was applicable. Verse 22 also tells us that Jesus speaks of a day where all the hidden things will be revealed. Now today, the the forces that be, and even in our own country and in our own government, you're starting to see this, especially in the military. Have you been reading the news about how they're trying to suppress the Christian faith in the military? But all other, all other religions are fine. It's this insidious, worldly, uh, dark spiritual uh, force that's really starting to take over our country. There's a battle going on, a spiritual battle to try to force us to stop speaking about our faith. And eventually, they want to affect it so it, it, it translates into what we say in the pulpit. And that's happened in other countries. Okay, But Jesus basically says that eventually all of God's truths will be out in the open. Verse 24, Jesus says, Take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use it, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. For whoever has, to him more will be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has, will be taken away from him. That's very interesting. Now we look at this second stage in church growth, and that's a few things. Number one, the principle of the interest in the things of God. 
we can add to that that taking heed to what we hear, what comes into our heart, into that fertile soil, to have discernment as Christians, and also three, to put into practice what we hear. As a new believer, it's good to receive and receive and receive and learn, but at some point now we have to walk. It has to translate into our members. What do we do with the word? How do we use it in our daily lives? So the principle of the interest in the things of God. Are we interested in God's truths this morning? Why did we come here? Maybe for some, you came here because the person sitting next to you bribed you and said that they'll buy you lunch. I don't know. But hopefully, at least for a little bit, we want to know what God's word says. So buy that person, you know, be, make good on that offer with the, with the lunch issue. But again, discernment is important. Take heed to what we hear. So let's look at this. If we take interest in God and his word, he showers us with more understanding. If we don't take interest, he doesn't chase us down. What he has is too valuable. And even what we have will be taken. In other words, it'll dissipate to nothing. In other words, it's kind of like the use it or lose it principle. You know, even when you think of your muscles, uh, if we don't do anything and we sit on the couch for months and months and months and the springtime comes and we go to start moving things and raking things, we'll probably have our backs really hurting the next day because we haven't conditioned those muscles to do that. Well, in spiritual things, you know, it's the living word. You know, we don't say, well, I've read the Bible and now I'm done. It's the living word. We continue to read the Bible. We continue to receive and understand God's truths. And every so many years, he'll show us something different in the same passage of Scripture. Maybe something that now applies to our life that a few years ago when we read it, it didn't. This is our daily bread. Remember, you don't eat. I wish I could do this. Just eat once and I don't have to eat anymore. Right? You don't have to deal with what's for dinner, what's for breakfast, indigestion. You just eat once and you're done. Well, it doesn't work that way. It also doesn't work that way when it comes to spiritual things. We constantly live, we constantly feed spiritually off of the word of God. God doesn't shower his wisdom on those that don't desire it. You know, discipleship can be the same way. If you have any discipler, male or female, that's worth their salt, at some point they may say, You're, I want it more than you do. We can be cordial, but I'm not going to put as much effort into it anymore. You know, is there any value to it? Now, again, this sounds harsh. You mean what I have will be taken away? Remember, we're brainwashed by our entitlement culture. In our culture, we just get stuff. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to value it. We expect it. We get it. And that's a problem. God will never cheapen his truths. And I've said this many times. God is not going to, because there's not a demand for it, he's not going to take his wisdom wholesale, send it to Walmart, Put it on the clearance rack at 50% off. It's just not going to happen. If we desire it, he will give us more. If we're not interested, he's not going to chase us down. This is also very important for Christians to take heed what we hear. The easy answer is that in the world, there's a lot of bad things in the world. There's some things we shouldn't be looking at. There's some things we shouldn't be listening to or engaging in. That's simple. But let's talk about Christianity. Let's talk about Christendom. There are some things we also need to be very careful of because there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of things on the internet. Right? Anybody can dress up an internet and make it look like it's legitimate, but it may not be. 
when we take in junk food in our bodies. How many have seen a documentary called Supersize Me? A lot of you. You know, if you're eating fast food for months, two months, eventually you take your blood from start to finish, there's going to be problems in your blood work. It's the same thing spiritually. We have to be discerning in what we take in. It's like the acronym GUI-GO, garbage in, garbage out. I'll just leave you with this. Uh, a, a sister in the Lord, one of my friends on Facebook, she has what's called False Teacher Friday. And every, every Friday she'll put up a, a male or a female or a preacher, somebody famous, and some of the really off-the-wall anti-biblical things that they say under the guise of Christianity. And she gets her biggest, it's amazing, she gets her biggest opposition from Christians. Oh, that person ministers to me. Oh, I like what they hear. Yeah, but they're not teaching the truth. So are you, really, are you really Christian if you really desire this stuff? Your heart is really not fertile ground to hear the, the truth of the word. But let me, let me encourage you with this before we continue with the next parable. It's, it's very simple, and this is, this is the encouraging part. Are you seeking God with your whole heart? The Bible says you'll be found by him. That's awesome. Do you desire to be saved? Then repent and be saved. Over the last two Sundays, seven people came forward and repented and, and they were saved. It's that simple. Do you want to learn more about God and his truths? Well, God will deliver the goods. He's good at doing that. Do you want God? Do you think he only speaks to pastors? That's not true. He speaks to everyone. It's the beauty of the Psalms and David penning the Psalms. You just see an insight of the intimate relationship that David had with his God, just him and God. Pretty awesome stuff. Do you want God? Do you find his truths valuable? You're going to do well. It doesn't mean you're not going to have trials, but you'll do well. Keep staying that course. Verse 26. And he said, The kingdom of God is as, a, as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. For the earth yields crops by itself. First the blade, then the head. After that, the full grain in the head. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. So this is the parable of the growing seed. Now, this is amazing because Mark's gospel is a short gospel. However, this parable is indigenous only to Mark's gospel. So it's really something we should pay attention to. Only Mark put this in here. And he was a very, you know, immediately this happened. He would make his point move on. That's, you know, he's definitely appeals to the East Coast. But he puts this parable in there. Now let's look at this third stage of, of church growth. And this is really uh, fruit, the development of fruit, maturity, and the mystery of this process. How does it happen? How does it happen? How many of you have ever planted a, a seedling or plant a, do, you know, had a garden and and you know, you just wake up the next morning and, and the, the, the stalk is kind of bent and then it straightens out and it's such a cool thing. You ever watch time-lapse photography on that? For those of us who have ADD and we're impatient, you know, you put the camera in front of the garden and a few months later you play it back and you see it growing real fast. But okay, so technology kind of changes things for us, but it, it's pretty interesting. I'll tell you this too, that you know, when, when I get... St- frustrated or stressed out, you know where I go? I go to my gardens. My wife and I plant gardens. I have to tell you that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He also created, created us, mankind, with simple things, with the plant kingdom, with the animal kingdom as companions. 
And I got to tell you, there's nothing like a beautiful garden and a nice pet uh, to just kind of calm you down and, and make you feel better and de-stress you. I do recommend it. Even if you have a small plot of land, just maybe something small. Put those seeds in. Put that nice black, rich soil. Keep it wet. Keep it by the sun and just watch it grow. It's just a, it's like a cathartic, you know. God cares about us spiritually, but he also cares about us physically and he also cares about us mentally. You understand that? Like some people think, oh, it's just a spiritual thing. No, he cares about the whole person. I can imagine what the Garden of Eden was like. Can you imagine some of the beautiful vegetation that was there and, you know, and the animals didn't run away from you, the wild animals, and they weren't wild yet. So that's pretty exciting. Let's go back to this. <laughs> so Jesus, he illustrates seed germination and compares the seed growing with God's word growing in our hearts. It just happens. We don't know how. We don't know why. But it just happens. As uh, a, a month later, we see a, a beautiful plant in our garden. Maybe a few years later, we see a difference in a believer's life who just came to the Lord. I love these analogies. You know, we, we look back in amazement and say, look what God has done. You know, we can find this in our own lives, brothers and sisters. As a new believer, sometimes the frustration is, oh, I sinned again. Oh, I, I, but I came forward last week, and look what I did this week. Don't beat yourself up about it. You're going to sin. That's why you need a Savior. You're going to mess up. Just God is good, though. Just keep moving forward. Don't let the devil make you feel ashamed and let you feel like you're not worthy or this isn't for you. And I, I hear this a lot. Don't do that. Enjoy your walk with him. You're going to take three steps forward and sometimes a step back. Right? That's the growth process. When you look in your garden, sometimes the plants grow faster in, in one week span of time than another week because it's, it's downcast and such. So I, I think it's wonderful, though, as believers, when we can look back a few years down the road and see the difference. Our faith grew. Wow, I do have more faith. We can say, I do have more courage to stand alone. I don't have to rely on my peers as much. I do have more wisdom. Hey, who wants all that? I do, and I want more of it. There's a, a brother in our fellowship who often says this. He says, I'm not the man I want to be, but I'm not the man I once was. Saying that he's striving for better things, and he's not there yet, but he's also not that guy before he got saved. I, that's a great expression. When you think of a good preacher... When you think of a solid Christian friend, when you think of someone who ministers to you, do you realize that some years ago that person knew absolutely nothing? They couldn't help you. They couldn't minister to you. They couldn't give you a piece of wisdom. So remember that. We all start. First the blade, then the head, and then the fruit. Stay the course. I want to encourage you with that. Verse 29. He says, but when the grain ripens, there's an expectation of fruit, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. So the grain ripens and the harvest has come. Fruit is born, B-O-R-N-E. And we talked about this last Sunday. Remember, in the Old Testament, God wanted Israel to produce fruit. And when they didn't, you know, he had expectations. Uh, sometimes they went way, way in the wrong direction, and he had to discipline them for that. By the same token, he also wants us as believers to also produce fruit, to be a part of what he's doing. There's a show, and I was flipping through the channels, and uh, I, don't, I don't know the name of it, 
but it was this show about uh, CEOs from like really big companies, Fortune 500 companies, who they go down to the, the lower levels of their, you know, their franchises or whatever, and they put on workers' clothes, and they work alongside of the workers, and the workers don't know that this, they're the CEOs. And then when you know, the time has come, unfortunately, some people get fired because they really weren't doing the right thing, but others are rewarded. Uh, and the CEOs call them into their office, and the people are just blown away that they actually rubbed elbows with the CEOs. But you know what's amazing? God is the CEO of all creation, right? And do we, do we belittle that? He wants us to work in his fields. He wants us to rub elbows with him. He wants to use all of us, right? <laughs> I see some elbows. Uh, I got good eyes from up here, and generally I, I can see a lot of things. But... Uh, <laughs> But the truth is, God wants us to work in his fields. You know, he, he loves for us to be alongside of him. You know, he wants us to produce fruit. And just like the, the parable says, uh, who, who can figure it out? You wake up the next morning and, and your crop has grown a little bit more. God does that work. He gives the increase. Now again, some see this as an accounting in the end, where the, the sickle is put in and God has that expectation of fruit. Again, some see that. Uh, I spoke to a, a pastor who kind of gave me some statistic recently, and he said that uh, the statistic is like 90-something percent of Christians never, never lead anybody to Christ. Uh, so there is, a, there is a, uh, an expectation of some fruit. Now, for new believers, again, don't panic. Drink this in. Enjoy the baby steps. File the rest away because you may use it later on. Again, don't panic. Let the blade come out naturally. God will do it. Let the head come out and then you'll produce fruit, steady as she goes. Verse 30. And he said, these are the last few verses, um, five verses we're going to cover for this morning. He said, To what shall we liken the kingdom of God, or with what parable shall we picture it? It is like a mustard seed, which when it is sown on the ground is smaller than all the seeds on the earth. But when it is sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all herbs, and shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. So here's the fourth stage this morning, overgrowth. Now, if you're a gardener or you work with vegetation or, or whatever you do, a farmer, any of those people will tell you that overgrowth is just as bad as undergrowth. We tend to look at undergrowth. It's not happening. It's not growing. It's not this. It's not that. But overgrowth can be just as, as dangerous. And, and let's follow this. Remember, Jesus is now zooming out the camera lens and looking at the growth of maybe the of Christendom, of the, um, the community of faith, maybe to the large Christian religious machine. Now let's go back to the parable that was going to unlock the keys to the other parables. Remember the birds. The birds were a picture of, you know, God loves birds. This is just imagery. The birds were a picture of when the seed was sown on that um, hard ground, the birds would come and pick up the word of God and pull it out of the person's heart. It was a picture of the demonic, of the satanic, of you, you're not going to be a Christian. I'll, I'll, I'll make sure that doesn't happen. You know, that's, that's how Satan looks at it. So the birds weren't a good thing. So if we use the same symbolism, they're emblematic of evil. There's overgrowth in this, uh, in this plant or tree, and these birds are now starting to nest. Mark tells us that the birds nest in its shade. They're comfortable. Matthew tells us that the birds nest in its branches. It's a safe haven for evil. Again, let's make this sharp dichotomy. 
This is not the true church. Church. Jesus said that the gates of hell would never prevail against the church. So what are we talking about? What are we talking about? Well, under the name of Christianity, there's a pedophilia scandal with clergy over the years, and some of them are moved to different churches in order to keep them from you know, receiving justice. That's not, that's not Christianity, I'm sorry. That's for the birds, okay? Now, let's go into evangelicalism. You know, some of these uh, radio and TV preachers who are multi-million millionaires, the way they speak on the television or on the radio to manipulate the gullible into sending their checks, their last $20, $30 to these millionaires so they can become more wealthy, to manipulate the minds of the hearers. That's not Christianity. That's for the birds. See, so you see that this, in this huge tree that's grown you've got this safe haven for evil. And both of these things are kind of working against each other. So it shouldn't be a surprise when we sometimes find evil among ministries or in the church. There's a brother in our fellowship who said, before he came here, he said to me, some of my worst experiences have been in church. Think about that. Some of my worst of life's experiences have been in church. So don't, I don't want you to be surprised by this. I kind of have a picture in my mind. Did you ever, you ever walk down the street or you walk somewhere and you see this huge tree and you look up because you hear the birds are talking to each other, like back and forth. I don't know what they're saying. Look at that guy, you know, is it time, you know, I don't know, fly over him, whatever. <laughs> so, so they're in the tree and, and I'll look up and I'll count, wow, there must be 20, 30 birds up there. Then something happens. They, they talk to each other or they, they, they decide to move on. And in mass, they all leave the branches. Now they're in the sky. And I look up and go, wow, I thought there were 20 or 30. There's got to be like 120 up there. So again, imagery is great that Jesus uses because they do blend into that church. They camouflage themselves, right? And it really takes sometimes a discerning eye to pick out the bad stuff that's in the bloated Christian kingdom. Now, 2 Corinthians 11 tells us that Satan, you know, we, when we, we, all right, I'm going to be discerning. I'm going to look for the ugly, scary guy that's going to frighten me on, on the radio. No, or the TV. 2 Corinthians 11, Jesus says that Satan masquerades himself as an angel of light. He's going to come off very eloquent, very soft-spoken, maybe minister to your needs, your fleshly needs, your, your desires. Uh, he says that his, his agents... Uh, pass them off, pass themselves off as ministers of righteousness, but they're not. They're working for the enemy. There's supposedly 2.2 billion Christian adherents in the world. Do you think that they're all saved? Of course they're not. Well, how could you say that? Well, because I, I'm just reading what the scripture says to me. Kingdom Now Theology, which is a, a, a fringe branch of, of false doctrine within the Christian movement, teaches that Christianity will become so large that it will dominate the world. Did they read this parable? The scriptures tells us otherwise. The true church will be persecuted more and more. It's, trust me, believers, it's coming to a, a theater near you, near you in the Western uh, community because we can always see, all, already see it happening in our government. We're losing a lot of the court battles. Right? It's, it's becoming more and more restrictive. So our, our um, persecution may not be thrown in dungeons, dungeons, but it may hit you in the pocketbook. Or you, may, you know, these things may happen. There's other believers that think that bigger is always better. You know, instead of staying somewhere and planting roots, they're always running from tree to tree, looking for bigger is better. 
Uh, you know, it's, it's like their old life of the rock concerts and, and the big things in the world that now they see that in Christianity and they want to keep running back and forth to that. Again, you can't, you can't put down roots. You can't put your blade up first and then your head and then the, the fruit unless the roots go down. Right? There's got to be some depth to us. Verse 33, the perfect ending. And with many such parables, Jesus, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. But without a parable, he did not speak to them. And when they were alone, he explained all things to his disciples. The word mystery in the New Testament comes from the Greek word mysterion. Now we think of a murder mystery. But in scripture, in the Bible, the word mysterion means something that was formerly hidden but has now been revealed. The revelation, the apocalypsis of Jesus Christ. Ooh, apocalypse, you know, apocalyptic literature. We get this, you know, fear in us. But all that means is the unveiling of Jesus. Revelation is an unveiling of who Jesus is in his absolute, perfect, eternal form. Right? The book of Revelation was an awesome study. It wasn't scary. You're a believer in Jesus Christ. It shouldn't frighten you at all. There's hope. There's the new kingdom that's coming. What camp do we want to be in? We can be like the crowd, or we can be like the disciples, and some of the crowd who actually came over and asked Jesus, what does this mean? We can partake of the ancillaries of God. I come to church, or I, I, I want to be a Christian for what God can do for me, or we can partake of God himself. That's what he desires for us. He desires a living relationship with you, every one of you individuals and me. Both of them heard the parables, but only some asked Jesus, what does that mean? Now, if the disciples didn't completely understand it, then certainly the crowd didn't, but they just blew it off. Well, Jesus is multiplying some fish and bread. This is awesome, a free meal. You know, I had this problem with my hip, and, you know, Jesus touched it. I feel better. Now I'm going to go back home. They didn't ask what the parables meant. They were just looking for the ancillaries of God. We can do that, too. We shouldn't, but we can. When we hear God's word and we can't understand it, do we ignore it and move on, or do we find somebody who has the answer? Don't let anybody tell you that's only pastors or magisterium or an elite group that can understand God's word. You know, it's a, a light, a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path, individually. Christ espoused parables to use physical examples to illustrate spiritual truths regarding things that affect all of our eternities. Again, are we going to be like the crowd? Are we going to be like the disciples? The few that wanted to know all the mysteries of God revealed to them. They also wanted to know God's heart, heart and to have a living relationship with him. Let's pray.